and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Good to see you. Yeah, one, you too. Thank you, thank you. What, uh, what kind of beverage are you using to close off this fine day? I've got a whiskey buck. We don't curse on the show. What? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. Think, think uh, Moscow Mule, but with whiskey and no copper uh, mug. Isn't that a Kentucky Mule? Bourbon, and I think it still has to be in a copper mug to be called a mule, technically. Oh. The, tradi- a- the traditional name, I think, probably before Moscow Mule. This is all information gleaned from a cocktail book that I have. Um, so liquor plus ginger ale or ginger beer plus uh, citrus juice is a buck of whatever liquor that is. But a buck in a copper thing is a mule. Uh-huh. Originally the, the Moscow mule specifically. Which means yeah. it can't, it's sterile as well, I believe. Be. No, that's a... Okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Livestock joke for everybody. Mule else. versus donkey versus, yeah, got it. Yeah. Well, buck. Um, I'm having a buck as well, actually. Uh, okay. That's funny. We just, usually always just, just both unknown. have. Yeah, uh, I usually have, we both often have Manhattans. Mm-hmm. I'm having a a gin. What do you call it? A, a whiskey buck? Uh huh. A Kentucky buck? Can I call it a Kentucky buck? Sure. Okay, I'm gonna do that. I mean, you can call it a Kentucky meal if you want. I don't care. I'm not the. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm having anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, hey, everybody, we are talking about Matthew chapter 13 this week. We're going to do just that one chapter. If you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, we highly encourage you to take a look at it through the link in the show notes. And don't forget the footnotes in the link in the show notes. Go ahead and give it a read. We will be here. Welcome back. Let's get started. Hey, as we were looking through this, kind of thinking about what what stands out, um, really one of the things, first thing that came to mind is like, this is a chapter that's like all the, all a bunch of different parables. And some of them are pretty short, just a couple of sentences. It's just like, and, mm-hmm. and just growing up, knowing that my experience is that when we talk about parables, we do one one and only one mm-hmm. and it takes up a whole sunday sermon um and we don't look at anything else like it's, it has no context it exists unto itself yes um and i think that's that's really more appropriate for something like an anthology of grimm's fairy tales than it is yeah, for yeah. a chapter of the bible um they're that's they're not all saying exactly the same thing i don't think but they are next to each other on purpose and not just because they're parables this is the chapter for parables um yeah it's like and then matthew just like bundled all these things together and then matthew bundled all this stuff together it's like maybe there's actually maybe he's smarter than that maybe he has more ambition than that yeah and 
probably it was an editorial decision by Matthew or whoever wrote it. Uh, yeah, it's possible that Jesus said a few of them back to back. Like, sure, totally. You know. Why not? Um, but I think the per- point is they're they're trying to like get at something, and even if it's not all the exact same like fine point the larger concept is kind of one whole. And I, and I think there's a, a progression of thought that it's trying to like help the reader, the listener, the hearer mm. get somewhere altogether and having them back to back is on purpose. And, and I think we need to read it that way. And, and this is not the first place I've discovered that chapter, uh, chapter 10 was a really pivotal in that way. I think chapter 12, we said, like, we're talking about, like, it it changes the meaning when you take it as a whole, as opposed to breaking it up as unrelated parts. So that sense of the way that the literature is structured, that it's more than just sort of a collection of discrete sayings, almost like the gospel, according to Thomas, which is non-canonical. Um, I feel like, I think we both, had that as part of our education as well as just a certain level of awareness of, of reading the text like that. But did anything become more evidence? Like you're, th- th- this is a really intimate up close uh, time you spent with the gospel, according to Matthew mm-hmm. in, in being this up close with it, knowing some of these things that were already sort of alienating you from other um, page settings of the of the bible yeah i think there's a repetition here that like noticing the repetition you start to notice some of the other things that may or may not be the same or maybe Mm -hmm. noticing things that are different and that's like oh why is that different when it when this is you know um so like one of the things is that these all start with the divine reign is like yeah and it's the same wording Every time the divine rain is like the divine rain is like the divine rain is like, so even if each one is kind of making a connection in a slightly different way about what a different aspect of the divine rain, it's trying to give you a, a fairly holistic picture of the divine rain. Mm. Um, but if you only take one at a time, completely unrelated, then you miss what the larger picture is. Um. And one of the things that caught my attention in doing this is we, we, I think we often read parables like allegories, like symbol A equals X real thing, symbol B equals Y real thing. And like Aslan is Jesus. Right. Yes. (laughs) Right. And, um, and we usually tend to assume God is one of those things, an individual sinner slash hopefully eventually believer is another one of those things. Mm-hmm. And there might be a third thing that might shift from parable to parable. And I'm realizing actually the divine reign is the main character in all of these things. Mm. That's how it starts. The divine reign is like a person who planted healthy seeds in their field. It's not God planting. It's not even like an evangelist or a pastor planting. It's the divine rain is like this person who planted. Divine rain is like a mustard seed. The divine rain is like yeast. It's 
which is pretty weirdly abstract if you're expecting something very concrete easy to explain it's like no these are things that are like we're trying we have to sit with it you have to wrestle with it you're you're expected to do some work here and and loop it back through to the stories of things jesus is doing Mm -hmm. these these are yeah what you're saying is they're not they're parables not allegories right there those are not the same thing it's lord of the rings not middle or not not narnia right Uh, right. yeah it's uh but it's also part of a piece of literature that has stories and Mm -hmm. and most of those stories end with or have the antagonists saying something to the effect of wtf you know they're they're asking like what are you doing here like what is this shit and Mm -hmm. so jesus is explaining the good shit that he's up to so of course he's he yeah he's not primarily trying to give a new spiritual teaching he's not primarily trying to do anything other than describe the kind of big movements of god that he is i don't know uh the spearhead of the first fruits the initiator of mm-hmm. no yeah. he's the king of the rain yeah I mean that gets into a whole bunch of other theology. It sure but, did, yeah. yeah. Uh, Crack, but to connect it back to the beginning of Matthew, he is the the first in the final sequence of generations leading up to Jubilee. Jubilee being the divine reign in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So taking letting those two be much more porous with one another. This like theme of Jubilee and this theme of the divine reign. Mm-hmm. So now that we've made those connections, yeah, there's a there's a part here where it usually let's see verse. I think it first starts off in verse thirteen of chapter thirteen. It's mm-hmm. like the unlucky unluckiest verse. Um, here's why I speak to them with parables: they see but don't see; they hear but don't hear, or make the connections. And then he goes on to quote the prophet Isaiah. What's the usual phrase there for make the connections? Yeah. Um, understand. Um, That's not a religious technical term. Why'd you change it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I think the thrust of it is, is correct. But the problem is that under another word for understand gets used. And then it gets the, the, like the fact that they're having some parallels here of kind of playing with different words, trying to come at the idea from different angles gets lost. If I just did it both as understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I look at the dictionary entry for this word, it's very literally so, like put together. Um, it's like connecting uh, the dots, making connections. Uh, I just put that together. Like it's under, it is understand, but it's uh, a kind of a particular, like I, I get how those things are connected, how they fit together is kind of yeah. the, the, the thrust of it. So it could be something like they hear, but it doesn't click. Mm-hmm. like that's the kind of like feel of what's being said here you know that phrase you know they they didn't understand 
that has a certain like hyper cognitive and yet passive sense. Whereas like connecting the dots, make the connections put together. Those are actually mm-hmm. much more expressive of how coming to know actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite philosopher, uh, Esther Lightcap Meek is all about this stuff. She builds on, um, Michael Polanyi's work, personal knowledge, y'all, if you haven't read that stuff, you should, it's great. Uh, but the, the center of, um, the knowing venture is really making a fresh connection Mm -hmm. is letting something that you're giving your focus to enter into the wider subsidiary and then letting those two actually like what is already in your subsidiary of knowledge connect with the focal the subsidiary focal integration is (laughs) wow Uh, i know i know it's it's not exactly a sexy phrase but it's pretty sexy in in uh the bigger picture that she puts together and so because it really is how you come to know you don't come to know in a vacuum in a void Mm-mm. So this subtle little shift in translation is actually expressive of a deeper etymological intuition mm-hmm. that I think Different at least sense, people that I sense of how we understand understanding. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, good heavens. I heard, I heard some professors in seminary who had a more hierarchical view of power and authority than than I do Mm -hmm. talk about understanding is actually about standing under it's about submission and a form of submission that is, um, I mean, literally the body, the the physical image there is being beneath. So you can't understand there. What they're trying to get at is this. Yeah. What, yeah. What they're trying to get at is this wisdom that you can't, if you believe that you are over the text, you have power over it instead of like it being a, I'm being generous here, but a minister of divine wisdom and power towards you. Like, are you going to be in control of the Bible or is the Bible going to be in control of you? Now, those are both actually pretty effed up (laughs) perspectives because we aren't called to obey or be under the Bible. We're called to be obey and be under Jesus Christ. I suppose that's, a, a kind of relationship, but not the kind that I think we're supposed to have. No, sir. No, sir. Uh, so I, I already have a bad taste in my mouth at that level for what that word means. Like, I don't, it's, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus is saying, if you only submitted, you little bastards, then you would get it. Like, there's this, like, latent, That's, fascist hierarchy kind of shit yeah, going on. It's clearly it's a, not what's happening here. And it's not what it means yeah. to learn, discover, know, or perceive like the depth of perception Jesus is calling us to, to, to like, look, you have, you can't just passively see, you have to apprehend. You can't just hear it. You need to listen. I know people though, who are distressed by that though. Um, that it takes work. Yeah. It's, it's disconcerting that it's not already clear that it's not black and white. They can't oh. just like. Mm-hmm. be have it summarized in a 30 second spiel and know exactly what to do with it the bible means what it says and says what it means 
No, it doesn't. <laughs> and, and, and it's not even necessarily like someone trying to be fascist and not because like, damn it, you're supposed to do it. You're told don't question it. Don't ask, you know, like it's like, it's challenging the sense of, can I trust this uh, for, for them? And mm-hmm. that becomes scary. And another like kind of an opposite example from schooling days, this was in my Bible college days, my bubble degree. Um, I remember having my, my uh, professors were actually pretty committed to teaching people how to think and not just what to think. Yeah. Um, so I, I may be lucky in that regard, as far as people who have gone to Bible, Bible schools and seminary. Um, but so I remember even a, a fellow student of mine, the, the professor went through a whole spiel of like, these are the options. This is how you can kind of wrestle with it and then like figure out what, what to do with it. And the, the student was, but what are we supposed to, like, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And the professor refused to answer. He's like, no, you have to wrestle with that. And like, but I don't, I don't want you want to, can you just tell me what it means? Oh, bless. Like it was stressful. Like I, I've never had an opportunity. Like I'm guessing that that, person had always been in a church where people told him exactly what to think and it was stressful not to have the to know what the right answer was to have to work for it like yeah you do have to work for it and that's part of how god becomes presence in the listening community is in the wrestling with the memory of those who came before them and mm-hmm. the wrestling of the revelation and and perspectives of others seeking this Yahweh way, this Jesus way. That's kind of how it works. Israel, you know, Jacob is called, you know, the one who wrestles with God, mm-hmm. like, like you're, this is how the thing works. Yeah. I think in the tradition I grew up in, the Bible was not seen that way. Yeah. Like if, if you're in a, in a conversation where people have differing opinions and someone quotes a Bible verse, that is the end of the conversation because they have claimed to speak for God. This is what God says about that. Any, any impulse to continue the conversation beyond that means that you're in opposition with God. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that's a really toxic way to approach scripture. Yeah, I think it's Brian McLaren who most often deploys this line of um, the Bible was meant to begin conversations, not end them. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that. I didn't know that came from Brian McLaren. I don't know if it does. Good. It's, yeah. it's He might be the only person I've heard say it. Maybe, Lord rest her, uh, Rachel Teld Evans. He probably mm. used that a few times too. Yeah, probably. So let's move on a few verses to verse 19. And this one does have a footnote F. The last one was D, if you're really that curious. But uh, this one, verse 19, F. This is the seed planted along the path. Every time someone hears the message of the rain and doesn't make a connection, short-sightedness comes and snatches away what has been planted in their heart. So that short-sightedness is the operative Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's a little bit of a risk. Um, it was me trying to figure out what to do with this because as we talked about long ago, I, one of my commitments was never to use 
the word evil, but to be more specific based on the context of what are we talking about here. So traditionally, evil is the word here um, from the Greek word paneros. And it is a word that has been translated a lot of different ways uh, by me, but also by others. Um, in the dictionary where I've looked up most of these things, some of the options were full of hardships or annoyances, harassed by labor, bringing toil and perils. Uh, it can also mean of bad nature or in bad condition or something like diseased or evil. Those are These are all the different ways that one Greek word is translated. Uh-huh. That's yeah. a very flexible term, even it, for like, we've talked about a lot of flexible terms, but that's quite generous. Yeah, this is one of the more flexible ones, but evangelical translations, which happen to be most of the translations that are widely available. Yeah, the mainliners don't do this as much. Um, usually just go ahead and stick evil in there almost every time. I'll let the, the listener draw their own conclusions <laughs> as to why yeah. that is. It's called a pregnant pause, everybody. Yeah. 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 So my sense after having looked at all those options, looked at it several different sources, looked at several different places where it appears, um, is that the kind of the, the heart meaning of it has to do with hardship or harm. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the experience or the 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 existence presence of that or being the cause of that um, and I think that really comes back to like really really old hundreds of years ago English like evil probably was appropriate in the sense of w- that like a really old sounding phrase of when evil befell you like when hardship befell you um that's really the core of paneros the greek word there not Mm -hmm. like maliciousness or delighting in being bad or however we interpret evil as a moral phenomenon now but so other ways that I've used it as hardships and diseased and rotten um, parallel passages in Mark and Luke use Satan and devil instead of like evil one. So it's not even thing. looking for synonyms. It's actually like inserting a personification. Yeah. That seems a bit more um, liberal. So keep in mind, Mark and Luke are not translating Matthew. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all like 20 or 30 or 40 years later recalling what Jesus said and taught. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it may be that they're recalling the same specific day or not, because I'm sure Jesus didn't just say a thing once and never say it again. He's teaching concepts repeatedly and probably use different wording at different times. And Bernie Sanders goes on the campaign trail and he says the same basic thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a few riffs and a few variations, but he's basically saying millionaires and billionaires 
everywhere he goes. Jesus was probably, as another socialist Jew, saying the same thing. <laughs> yes, yes. In um, fact, that makes me now want to have like Larry David play Jesus sometime. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, which evil in the sense of this moral wickedness and Satan and devil all fit together really well. But keep in mind also that Satan and mm. Diabolos are not translation. When they do a Satan and devil, it's not a translation. That's just putting the Greek word in English letters. And that's not, I, I don't, that's, that's not a thing to do. Um, they deserve to be translated. Mm-hmm. And so we have something like adversary, enemy, prosecutor for Satan yeah. Satan and something like false accuser for devil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and especially thinking of, or like, like adversary connecting that with hardship, maybe the one who causes hardship mm-hmm. starts to come into play. Uh, same with false accuser that would cause some hardship to be taken to court and have someone framing you for something. Uh, it certainly yes. causes hardship. So, yeah, there's a lot more at play here than just like a clean, this should be a simple translation, Brandon, and you're just trying to change the Bible. And like, no, I'm working with the reality of what these words are have behind them. And other people have just really, really narrowed that field yeah, in, like inappropriately. It, it's, it takes a tremendous amount of agency to translate the Bible. You can't take interpretation out of translation, like no. period, period. Yeah, not just Bible of anything, anything, yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, because yep. all it all gets filtered through how I understand words. It's true for everyone in the world, yep. which is a word you did not include. This is true in verse twenty-two, with footnote G. Uh, let's see now. The seed and the thorn bushes, this is whoever hears the message. But the priorities of this age and love for wealth choke out the message. Uh, and on it goes. Yeah, usually it's the priorities of uh, the this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or at least in uh, at least in some of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some might might go ahead and do age, but and it and it's cosmos, which means universe or world or reality. It's not cosmos. Uh, oh that, oh that, shit! That that <laughs> that would be world. Um, yeah, or or universe. Oh, it's aeon. Oh, and it's aeon, and like where like eons is an English word that we have that rarely gets used but that's where this where that comes from is this greek word um it's also yeah yeah era and in elsewhere in the the gospels it would be eternal life life of the age of ages yeah the age um age to come yeah eternal life the word that's eternal uh there is like the adjective form of this so this is a noun and that's an adjective that ends up getting translated eternal which will which there's an instance of that in matthew so we'll get to that cool Um, but but why is it usually translated world here is that or i i i I think i think it's a 
it's definitely a tr- uh, interpretive decision. I think they're trying to say something along the lines of the way things are, I guess, mm-hmm. here as opposed to in heaven, I guess, like after people die and go to heaven. I, I'm not really sure. I, I haven't asked anybody who did that. Made that I mean, decision, the, like, but, yeah. if I can like try to explore that a bit here, there's this sense in which, you know, the uh, Jewish people of that day spoke of the present evil age. Mm-hmm. It's, that's actually explicitly mentioned in Galatians one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but maybe not evil, huh? but maybe not evil. Actually. Indeed. Yeah. The, the, the present short-sighted age uh, and, <laughs> and the, uh, uh, the age to come. And so some people translate eternal life uh, as, or the phrase in Greek that is often eternal life as the life of the age to come. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which the a referring to the present age is referring to essentially the status quo, like the world as mm-hmm. you have it with all of its systemic oppression and bullshit. Yeah. Like the things are clearly not aligned with divine desire, longing, dreaming, will. Mm-hmm. This is not shalom. This isn't heaven on earth. This isn't the new Jerusalem. This isn't new creation. This is the present bullshit. Yeah. Which you have here in the next phrase is connected pretty closely with love for wealth. Yeah. Like, so the status, like, you know, this is for whoever hears the message. But the priorities of the spirit of the day are of the status quo, like the this of this age. It's not just talking about first century Palestine. It's it's talking mm-hmm. about something really like just about every age. Like there's going to be a toxic and antichrist momentum as part of how a, yeah. how a power structures work. Yeah. And it's really easy to assume that whatever like cultural movement you're against is what this is talking about. (laughs) Everyone does that. I do that. You do that. We all do that. Yeah. I was just thinking about this today, how um, I, I often heard people say, oh, you know, Christians who welcome LGBTQ folk. Uh, LGBTQ Christians into the fold, you know, you're just, you're just seeking the comfort of this age. You're, see, you're accommodating culture. Mm-hmm. I can see where they're coming from. And yet those of us who are like affirming, welcoming and f- recognizing the anointing of the queer experience. Um, we don't use that language because we've, been on the receiving end of it because it would feel it honestly theologically feels like i have a ton of warrant to say look i'm following the bible in welcoming gay folk in recognizing their full dignity worth and belonging. Mm-hmm. you're and, the one succumbing and to i would pro- agree with you yes yes you would yeah. um but like they're they're the ones succumbing to the accommodating to culture which is to say patriarchy and heteronormativity and fear of that which is fractional and minority and different from typical mm-hmm. like they're falling into the sin of xenophobia of xenophobia homophobia 
Yeah, like we use all these yeah. like sociological and political words, and they're mm-hmm. saying they're using they're using Bible language right. to make the same play of like we follow the Bible, you're just seeking the the coddling of the culture. And it's like, I don't know, bullshit. Yeah, that reminds me a lot of what we said earlier about, you know, as soon as someone brings I quote a Bible verse into an argument, conversations over because if you disagree with me, you're disagreeing with God. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question yeah. is, yeah. by the world, by culture, do you mean what is popular and feels threatening to you? Mm-hmm. Or is it that which is ubiquitous, inherited and received, and maybe really friggin' shitty to people? Yeah, that's a much better metric. Also, which it, it's still a hard one to define um, in a way that people would agree on. But a, a simpler one that also won't work very well because none mm-hmm. of them do uh, is this love for wealth thing. Oh, yeah. is shows up dozens and dozens of times just in the Greek part of the Bible, which is about a quarter of the total content of the whole Bible mm-hmm. and shows up a whole bunch in the rest of it too. Um, whereas arguments against identifying as lgbt like Mm -hmm. what is it a total of six sentences like yeah across the entire bible and even those are like debated they're not (laughs) so like like heavily like what the words actually mean and stuff is not agreed like i think we have our I, i think it's not actually that hard to identify what the Bible is talking, identifying here as the priorities of this age. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it's an exhaustive list, but people who excuse billionaires who love their wealth and actively advocate against helping the poor. Mm-hmm but then get upset because we're not obeying the Bible by allowing people to live their own lives when they identify in ways that we disagree that they should be able to identify and claim that the Bible is on their side. I I think it's a slam dunk that that is not a valid way to interpret things. Yeah. Come at me guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You said a typical translation is, here can is often world that seems to be a dominant one among evangelical translations at least uh in some of them yeah 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 that's going to be increasingly important i think particularly not just with aeon but uh yeah cosmos what i Mm -hmm. errantly said that i thought it was um yeah that's a big distinction because that word has one layer of meaning broadly among the gospel authors and then it really develops later in the letters in the letters like paul has a a nuanced sense that is well it's honestly much closer to the way i was just defining the priorities of this age like the present Mm -hmm. the current power structures and status quo like the way that mainstream is pejorative pejoratively used often like that which is taken for granted and is actually possibly satanic Yes. Oh man, so many words there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I can give a preview that where 
in those letters that you're thinking of um, where it has cosmos, I've been translating it as world system and not just world. Oh, that's great. Yeah. With footnotes to go along with it. Mm-hmm. But that's all I'll say for now. It's a teaser. I really hope your girls will read the footnotes. Someday. It's above <laughs> yeah. the head for now. But... Yeah. Well, that's because they are standing under it. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, let's just end the episode there for folks. Yeah, but clearly not understanding. Yeah. You know, we both really appreciate you listening every week and joining us on the... No, okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here all week. I want to jump to verse 57. So at the end... After all of these, the divine reign is like, the divine reign is like, the divine reign is like. Mm-hmm. He goes back to his hometown and they're like, who the hell is this guy? Holy crap, he's saying all the things. Is he the kid of those guys? Oh my God. Apparently, Norm yeah. MacDonald, God rest him, is playing <laughs> <laughs> his neighbors. Apparently. Oh my God. Who's this guy? Uh, yeah, Actually, I would love the, the Norm MacDonald reads the New Testaments. So, yeah, he goes and says these things. And then Matthew, the commenter, the narrator says, and they were tripped up by him. And that's a that's a different way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's different. Um, I, one of the more common ways that people handle that is to say offended. Um, they were offended by him. That's a very sure. different sense. It is. That's really um, different. Uh, it's not that it's wrong exactly, but I think you'd have to make a whole a bunch of leaps, maybe getting Richard Rory on the conversation because he doesn't like be- people being offended. It's a sign of I- spiritual immaturity to him that people are offended by things. Mm. Um, but the 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 Greek word is skandalizo, where we get scandal from scandalized this shows up a whole bunch of times through matthew and it has been an unusual amount of work for one word to figure out what to do with it in all these different places and i have used tried to use tripped up or a variation of that as many places I can to, for kind of consistency and so that the reader can get a sense of like, oh, that idea is showing up again here. Um, there's been a few places where it just really didn't work to do that. Um, but, but here it does, I think. It's, there's a sense of like that people are, are having a hard time based on Jesus showing up in this way, you know, and, and they're not reacting well. And I think that's part of what's involved in Skandalizo. But what's interesting is that earlier in this same chapter, Skandalizo is also used um, in verse 41. So let's look at that. It says, the son of humanity will commission his messengers and they will weed out from his reign everything that trips people up along with those who do what is incompatible with the Torah. So this is where ending a conversation with a Bible verse gets tricky rather than starting a conversation. 
So at the end in chapter in verse 57, Jesus is the one who is tripping people up. So based on verse 41, shouldn't he be <laughs> weeded out from the rain? <laughs> yeah. It's the same word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're forced to wrestle with this. What does Jesus mean? What does Matthew mean? Because it's the like same just, word. Because just because you're tripping people up, that's not an argument. That's not a verification that you're on the healthy path or the unhealthy path. Mm-hmm. There's something. There's there's more context needed, and the way NET provides that context is whether this is Jesus or God doing it or anyone else. Yeah, that's all the context needed. So any the way that. New English translation, NET does it is in 57, they do it as took offense. And in 41, they did it as causes sin. The word sin is, Hamartia, is not in that verse. There's a major interpretive leap there. Um, well. <laughs> yeah. And that's, they're not alone in that, like very traditionally, pretty much all translations, for instance, translate, the Bible uses the same Hebrew word, nacham, mm-hmm. for people repenting, mm-hmm. transforming their mind, having remorse, changing their behavior based on all of that transformation process. Mm-hmm. Um, and nacham when it's referred to God, such as the story of God saying it in the Torah that the people of Israel have you know, messed up too much. I'm going to wipe them all out. Moses, I'm going to start over with you. You're going to be the new Abraham and your descendants are going to inherit the promise instead. And Moses says, no, don't do that. Forgive them, please. And God relents and doesn't destroy them. It's naham. It's the same word that when it's used with humans, Bible translators do repent. But when it's God, they say relent instead. Oh, my. Because they can't fathom using the same word of changing your mind for humans and God because God can't make mistakes. So God just relents whatever the theological distinction is supposed to be there. That seems to be just really a, di- a diluting of it without actually dissolving it. Mm-hmm. Like the reality is, this is that those are stories of uh, the divine changing their mind, mm-hmm. which there are certain theological for- formulations which cards on the table. I'm entirely sympathetic to open and relational and even process theologies that make room for that and are like, oh yeah. God having a genuinely open relationship with creation can, based on learning something new about the creation in its unfolding, change course. And the Jewish, the Hebrew Testament has these stories of that, which is really uncomfortable for the theological tradition within what emerged out of Christ, Christianity, that has real anxieties with the way God relates to creation Mm -hmm. is including the possibility 
of changing course. So they, they hide it behind that word relent. What the hell does that even, they're still talking about God changing God's mind, God changing mm-hmm. God's course, God repenting. God right. Well, adjusting. I think there's an assumption that the human version of that is saying I'm bad and I need to stop being bad. Yes. And therefore God doing that, it means God is bad. Right. Which gets super, which instead of changing the word that you use for God, maybe you should change your assumption about what it means for people. Maybe both. Maybe both. You know, I I have an uh, assumption Mm -hmm. that people will accuse me in this project of trying to rewrite the Bible, Mm -hmm. but the Bible is or in its original languages was comfortable using the same words for these things, both for Naham in the, in the Hebrew Bible and for Skandalizo in Matthew 13 here and several other examples, like, and English translators with particular commitments to theological assumptions have refused to let those be the same words. Hmm. an argument might be made that they have been the ones to rewrite the Bible. Well, that's quite full circle Mm -hmm. to those accommodating the culture. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. And that level of interestingness is, I think what we're going to need to wrap up this week for real this time for real this time. And for real, we are really, really grateful that you are continuing to join us on this journey through Brandon's translation of the Gospel According to Matthew. The easiest way to support Founding Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice, especially Apple Podcasts. Uh, That makes it easier for more people to find the show and trust that what we're having to say is at least interesting. The second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor. You can do that for just five bucks a month. When you do that, you become uh, a member of this broader community of conversation around the, the translation. You get comment access on that Google Doc that you opened up a few minutes ago. And you get the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join that community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on unceded Chinook land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. <laughs>